0: Again, we're so glad to see you all tonight. As we head into this last month of school, I'm really excited for what God is going to do. I think God has big plans. I think it's easy to wish away this last month, but I don't want to do that here at Kyle Alpha. Again, if this is your first time with us, I am really thankful you decided to join us. Thank you for coming to bring a friend tonight. It's fun. We love friends. We love people, and we love Jesus. My name is Derek. I'm the pastor here at Kyle Alpha, and I'd love to get to know you after service. I'd love to meet you and give you like a little elbow bump. That'd be fun for me at least. Here at Kai Alpha, we have three pillars that really define who we are. We want to be people of real devotion, real community, and real responsibility. Real devotion just means that we want to be people who are fully devoted to the real Jesus. We want to be people who spend time with him, who read our Bibles, who pray, and we do whatever it takes to get connected to God. Real devotions are are our first important thing. Second is real community. We want to have authentic, real life-on-life community. We don't feel the need to put on masks here or face like, like, you can wear like the COVID masks. It's not like a metaphorical mask. Sorry, that joke doesn't work anymore. So we, don't, we want you to feel at home here. We want you to be who you are, right? So when you go home, when you guys go back to your parents' house, if you have a good upbringing, you can kind of chill and relax. I get really goofy and I go to my parents' house. I'm a pretty goofy guy. So when I go home, I get to be myself. And we want you to feel that way here at Kyle. We want to have real community. Finally, we believe in real responsibility, meaning we are responsible for our faith. We believe that God has called us to the greatest rescue mission of all time, which is seeing the 10,000 students here at UNI come to know Jesus. We believe we are supposed to be active in our faith, not passive, and that we are to do something with what God has given us. Real devotion, real community, real responsibility are what define what we do here at Chi Alpha. Really what we're focused on is helping the people on our campus who might feel hopeless find their hope. Personally, I've had some experiences of going through some hard seasons and seeing how it can be really easy to lose hope. The best example of this in my life, I think, was my sophomore year of football. I played football throughout middle school and high school. It was really important to me growing up. And going into my sophomore year, we were excited. We thought we're about to win, go 9-0, it's going to be a good season. We had this new coach coming in, and this coach was like old. He had coached in like the 80s, and supposedly he was like a legend. He was really buff. He scared the poop out of me when I first saw him. He looked like a villain from Batman. He was bald and the goatee going. But I'm like, this guy's about to get us some Ws. So I was really excited, a little scared, because he was kind of frightening looking, to be honest. But I thought, this is about to be the year. Then came our first game. Our coach gets us pumped up. We're ready to go. We go out there, and we lose. A little sad. It hurts. But you know what? There's still hope, right? It's only one game. There's nine in a season, so we can still go eight and one. Then comes our second game, and our third, and we lose those as well. Our losses seem to keep getting worse and worse, right? First week, we lost by a little bit, then a little bit more, and then a lot a bit more. We're starting to kind of get pummeled. But we can still have hope. There's six games left. But then we lost games number four. Five, six, seven, eight. We are 0-8. And I'm like, come on, this has been awful. I feel hopeless. This season is not going well. We have one game left. We cannot go winless. It was pretty rough, to be honest. I remember there's times before practice, my best friend Casey and I would be like, what if we like stepped on each other's ankles and injured each other so we didn't have to run anymore and have to practice? We're going to lose anyways. We were really weird, also really heavy, so we didn't want to run. But anyways, that's besides the point. We had lost all hope. Then came our last game, though, and our coach decided to do something a little bit unorthodox. So he takes us into what is like the wrestling room. I don't know if your high school had that with a bunch of mats, real sweaty, sweaty and smelly, kind of like this room, to be honest, but with wrestling mats. And we go in there, they turn the lights off. And we're all sitting on the ground. we just hear some guy come out and start screaming at us, like getting us all jacked up and pumped. Some people in, the lo- in that room are like, is that Kirk Ferentz, the head coach at Iowa? Other people are like, I think it's Brian Erlacher, who's a middle linebacker for the Chicago Bears at, the sa- at that time. And we're like, who would they bring in? We're all jacked up. He's getting us pumped up to win. The lights come on. And it was our driver's ed instructor. <laughs> I was like, this is not as exciting, but I'm still jacked up because he got me yelling. I'm like punching the devil, kicking the Satan ready to go for this game. And you know what? Oh, it's like a storybook ending. We go out there. It's pouring down rain, and we won the game. Oh, that felt so good. It literally felt like a movie. People were crying afterwards. I'm like, looking back, I was 15. It was a sophomore football game, and we were 1-8. What's there to be so crying, excited about? But we did. I remember I went up to my coach, and I grabbed him and hugged him, and like we fell. It was really fun. See, in the midst of all our trials and all our losing in that season, we were in what I'll call despair. We had no hope. And this led to more and more losing, right? Kind of loser's attitude, like we keep losing, we keep losing, we think we're always going to lose, and we didn't have any hope for this season. In the middle of that season, what we needed was hope. And we had to find it, and luckily before our last game, our driver's ed instructor brought it to us. We found hope in a hopeless place. Anyone know that song, or am I getting too old? Sorry. Oh, it is we found, oh, you're right, I'm sorry. She said we found love in a hopeless, is that right? Anyways, that's, regardless... Many of us in this place can be like my sophomore football team. We came into this school year pretty excited. Some of you are freshmen. You're like, ready to go on your own. Some of you are sophomores, juniors, ready to come back, especially in 2021, right? Because 2020 stunk. But we came like 2021 is about to be hype. We're coming back to the school year. We're so excited. And then the first few months of the year have come and gone. And maybe that excitement's gone. Our expectations weren't met, and maybe we feel just as hopeless as we did back in 2020. It's also that time of the semester where it can get really easy to want to quit, especially this year because we didn't get a spring break, right? It feels like we've been go, 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 go forever. I know everyone's like, I just want to take a week off. I get it. Maybe school's hitting you hard. Maybe you're having relationship issues. Maybe you just feel lonely in this season. Maybe your mental health's not going super hot right now. I think many people in this room are probably struggling with mental health, especially in this season of the lull of the semester. Maybe you feel like your future is really murky. Maybe you're a junior going to your last year. Or maybe you're a senior, and you have no clue cool what you're going to do after you graduate. And your future is so murky, and you have no clarity that you've lost hope that you'll ever figure it out. Maybe you're here, and if you're honest, you've lost hope that you'll ever find real friends or that real community we talked about. Maybe you've lost hope in yourself. You keep coming up short and making poor decisions. You feel hopeless to overcome some of the struggles in your life. Maybe you have an addiction in your life, and you feel like you just can't overcome it. You've tried and tried and tried, and it's not working. Or maybe you're here, and you follow Jesus, and you feel hopeless still because you don't think you can ever make a difference for God. Maybe you're heading into small group leadership, and you're like, ah, this is not going to go well. And you just feel like there's no chance you have what it takes to be a good leader. Maybe you think, I'm just too shy. I'm too insecure. I don't have what it takes. There's no hope for me. It's what I think a lot of us think. We're in week two of our series, The Cost of Discipleship. This series is based off a book of the same name by Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Diedrich Bonhoeffer is what we call an old dead guy around here. mean, Mean he's old and dead and he's a guy. We also have old dead gals, those are fun too. But this old dead guy was a spy who plotted against Adolf Hitler. And on the side, he wrote books about what it looks like to follow Jesus. So that's pretty cool. This guy understood that discipleship or the process of looking more like Jesus, that's what discipleship is, is trying to look more like Jesus. He understood that this process has a cost. He paid that cost when he was killed for his faith by the Nazi regime just weeks before his camp got liberated after the Allied had won the army or won the war. Last week we started this series off by talking how we need to die to our old sinful self so we can live to a new self, right? The old must go so the new can come. We have to die to ourselves so we can live to Christ and so we can live to be like Jesus. See, we looked at Luke nine twenty three, which says we must deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him every day. And tonight, we're going to dive into the meat of the book, and we're going to dive into Jesus' most famous sermon he ever preached called the Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew chapter 5. If you have a Bible with you, please turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible and you want one, you can get one after service. So hallelujah, God is good. At this time, right before what we're going to read, Jesus had built up a crowd It wasn't just him by himself. He had a crowd following him, and he decided, you know what? I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to teach them some stuff. I'm going to teach them what it looks like to follow me. I'm going to teach them what it looks like to be called, and what he would say, the kingdom of God. We're going to read his first two teachings tonight. These two teachings are called Beatitudes. Beatitudes is just like a small little teaching. So Matthew 5, 1 through 4 says this, seeing the crowds, he, as in Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, we love you so much. Jesus, I pray, first of all, that somehow the air is going to turn on during this service. I don't know how that will happen, but we're praying for a miracle. We just pray that you'll speak through me, Father, and that everyone will walk away closer to you and just realize how loved we are. We love you so much, King Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you get one thing tonight, if you check out later, that's okay, but you've got to get this one thing, all right? Here it is. We must die to despair so that we can live to hope. The cost of discipleship is to die to despair so that we can live to hope. So Jesus starts off his little talk with his followers saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Hold up. Usually when we think about people that are poor, we don't think they feel super blessed by it, right? It's not like, yay, I've got... $2 $2 in my bank account, I can't even afford two McChickens. Amen. Like, we're not usually blessed by that, right? And in Jesus' day, people would equate their financial security with the way God feels about them. If they're rich and wealthy, God must love them, they thought. And if they're poor, God must be mad at them, or maybe he's cursing them for something wrong they did. That's what these people thought, which is highly inaccurate, but that's okay. These poor people definitely did not think they were blessed. But when he says the poor in spirit here, he's not talking about like financial resources. He's not saying they're poor in money. Even though Jesus clearly has a heart for the poor, if you look at all his teachings, he loves poor people a lot and says we need to do what it takes to care for the poor. It's very important to Jesus. But here he's talking about the poor in spirit. So if you're poor in spirit, what that means is you are lacking spiritual resources. Just like if you're poor financially, you're lacking financial resources. So if you're poor in spirit, it means you recognize that you do not have the spiritual resources it takes to be successful. You know that you're not good enough on your own to be a good person. You realize you're lacking. You know you cannot depend on yourself for your spirituality, but you must depend on God. That's what it means to be poor in spirit, is you must depend on God. And Jesus is saying that those who depend on God, rather than on themselves, are blessed. Blessed. If we depend on ourselves, we will eventually be given to despair. The definition of the word despair is lacking or the absence of hope. So as we depend on ourselves, we will lack hope. Because as we live this life, we're eventually going to try to find hope or meaning in different things. Maybe you find your hope in school. Maybe it's in sports, in romantic relationships, friends, family, money, any of these things we try to find our happiness through these things we try to get these things to fill a god-sized hole inside of our hearts and the reasons these things always come up short is because they depend on a human in order for them to work let me explain in order to do well in school you have to do some work right you can't just not study never read a book and go into a test and say lord help me pass this test no you're gonna flunk If you didn't study, the Lord's probably not going to give you divine answers. If he does, that's cool. I need some of what you got. Clearly, you've been reading your Bible more than I have. But most of the time, to do well in school, it requires some human effort. If you want to do well in sports, you have to practice. You have to work hard. And usually, it helps to have some natural ability, right? Like, I've always had a dream of being on the dunk, like dunk a basketball. I just can't. I'm six foot. I've got the vertical of like a literal peanut. So it's just not going to happen. Even if I practice a lot, I don't have the natural ability to dunk. Someday, maybe the Lord will come in through that, but probably not. If my hope and identity is founded in me beyond the dunk, I will never be happy. In order for romantic relationships to be perfect, they can work, but in order for them to be perfect, theoretically, the two members of the relationship would have to be perfect, right? And if you've been in a relationship for more than 7.3 seconds, you know that that's not happening. That both members of relationships are not going to be perfect. I think when I said that, my wife went, "Mm." (laughs) now I'm realizing that's a dig at me, but it's okay, we'll pray about that later. These worldly pursuits are not bad in themselves. See, I want you to do well in school. Having friends is a good thing. Dating is good. Doing well in sports, these are all good. However, since these things depend on a human, they will eventually come up short because humans are imperfect beings, right? We will eventually do bad on a test Lose a game, miss out on a job. And in these moments when things come up short, it's easy to fall into despair because things then seem hopeless. This isn't just with worldly things either. Maybe you're not trying to find your fulfillment in passing a test, but maybe you're trying to find your fulfillment in being the perfect Christian. Read your Bibles every day. We never cuss, especially the F word. Come on. We never drink. Maybe you're just the perfect angel. I hate to break it to you. That won't last. Eventually, you might miss a day of Bible reading. You might get angry. You might lose patience. Maybe you'll be playing basketball with my boy Craig up there, and he's going to try to back you down on the post, and he's going to fail because he's getting guarded by me. This past weekend was fun. That's that's not important. But anyways, in that moment, Craig could get angry. He didn't. He just was a little slippery because he was shirtless. Anyways, In these moments, it's easy to feel worthless because we are finding our value in our performance. And that can be in worldly things or godly things. And when we don't perform, when maybe we do poorly on a test or when we sin or do something that God wouldn't like us to do, we think that since we performed poorly, we are bad. Because our whole identity can be wrapped up into this one thing. So if we do one bad thing, we are inherently bad. But this is not what God is calling of us. God does not want us to depend on ourselves for our fulfillment because he knows we will eventually come up short. He knows that we aren't perfect. He says, leave being perfect to me. This is why he says that those who are poor in spirit or those who depend on God for everything, including their spirituality, are blessed. This word blessing is actually a weird translation. So the New Testament in the book of Matthew, which you are reading out of, was actually written in the Greek language. And a better translation of the Greek word that we get for blessed would actually be like someone who should be congratulated. That's a better definition of it. Or maybe someone whose place in life is enviable. So what it's saying is the poor in life or the poor in spirit should be congratulated. They should be envied because they figured it out. They figured out, if you're poor in spirit, you figure out that you cannot do it on your own because when we do it on our own, we are led to despair because every time we try to do something on our own, we will come up short. To me, my grades have always mattered a lot to me, right? I really wanted to get straight A's. Being really real, this wasn't because I wanted to be perfect or because I wanted to perform well is because I care a lot what people think of me. If you ever heard of the Enneagram, it's a personality assessment. I'm a type three, and that can explain a lot of things about me. If you don't know what that means, it's okay. Leave it alone. It's not important. But all it means is I care what people think. So to me, getting good grades is about being better than the people around me and looking smart. Anyways, I'm in the seventh grade, and in the seventh grade, I got both of the two Bs I've ever gotten in my entire life. Both of them happened in seventh grade. One of them was in algebra. And that was just because algebra was hard. The other one, though, was in seventh grade band. One of the two B's I've ever gotten was in band. First of all, I'll be honest, I was really, really bad at band. I played percussion and I just stunk at it. I never practiced ever. John Griffin, one of our other pastors, was also in our band and he was really good at it. So our teacher's like, John, you're amazing. Derek, and then, then keep going and, like, never me. It was really hurt my feelings, but it's fine. Then they'd always put me on the triangle. So John would get to play, like, six drums at a time, like, with his feet, he'd be trying to kick stuff. And, like, Derek, you get a triangle that plays once in the whole song. And then, you know, when you play the triangle, you get kind of bored. So I'd, like, start counting, rest, 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 rest. And I'm, like, I've got seven pages of rest I'm about to check out. And then I'd just pick it up randomly, right? like, ding, and hit it, and then check out a little bit. And then I got yelled at, but that's fine. And the biggest part of our grade and band was our private lessons. So this was just me and my teacher. And I never practiced, ever at all. So my lessons didn't go great. But if you usually showed up, you would get an A, even if you stunk at it like I did. Here's the problem, though. I'm really, really forgetful. Just ask our Chi office staff. I would forget these lessons all the time and accidentally skip them. This was not on purpose because you got to leave class to go to the lessons. So I was like, yeah, it'd be fun. And I was in the sewing class during my lesson. I remember it very clearly, but I always forgot because I'd be in the middle of sewing stuff. And I'm not handy either. It was a really bad year. Anyways, so I missed so many lessons that I deserve to be in this class. But my teacher comes up to me, and he's very nice, and he says, Derek, you know, if you come to this one makeup lesson, I'll just give you an A. Because it's banned. I know your grades matter to you. I'll give you an A. I'm like, yes, thank you so much go throughout my day, I come home, sitting there, like, ah, crap. I forgot my lesson again, and then I was driven to despair. I start bawling and, like, shaking, like, people are going to know. No, seventh grade, Derek, no one gives a rip about your band grade. But anyways, I was real mad. I can't believe I forgot that lesson. I'm still a little mad about it, to be honest, but it's fine. My value was in my performance If I didn't get all A's, I was bad, so I felt hopeless. I felt despair in that moment. I didn't think in that moment, you know, even though this stinks and I'd like to get all A's, God is good, so we're all going to be okay. No, I was just really ticked off. This is like many of us when we come up short. We can fall into despair because we feel hopeless and we feel like failures. In these moments when we fall short or we do something wrong, we must remember that we do not depend on ourselves. We depend on Jesus. In these moments, we have to remember that our value is not in our performance but that the poor in spirit are blessed. Our blessing comes from our dependence on God, not our performance. Our blessing comes from our dependence, not our performance. So the next time that we don't measure up, that we fail a test, we say something stupid, we lose a game, we fall back into a sin, we should obviously seek to grow, right? Don't keep doing the same thing over and over again poorly and expect something to change. No, we need to try to grow However, we need to try and avoid despair or the feeling of hopelessness because our hope is not in our performance, but rather our hope is in Jesus. He was perfect where we were imperfect, and because of that, we get to have hope. So we can have hope when we don't measure up because our value is not in that. Our value is in being a son or a daughter of the God of the universe. Our value is in his performance, not ours. After Jesus says that the poor in spirit are blessed, he goes on to say, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. We don't usually say people in mourning are blessed. So what's Jesus getting at here? People who are mourning are usually sad, right? They're in despair. However, Jesus is saying that those who mourn will be comforted. Jesus goes on to later say that the Holy Spirit is the comforter. The Holy Spirit's just like a manifestation of the presence of God. So what he's saying here is that as we mourn, we get closer to the heart of God and we get to be in his presence. See, Psalm 34, 18 says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. So in times of mourning, sadness, despair, that can actually bring us closer to Jesus and into his presence. Maybe tonight you're in a season of despair. Maybe you're not mourning necessarily. Maybe like, it's not that someone passed away. but Maybe you've had a rough semester. Maybe you feel a little burnt out. Your mental state might not be great or you just feel sad, empty, or tired, or you really miss spring break, that's me. If that's you, Jesus is saying that this season can actually bring you closer to him. Instead of driving you away, it can bring you close to God because in seasons where everything's going well, it's easy to not think about God, right? When life's going great, when we're having bubbly times, when we're going into a test that we know we're gonna pass and we know all the answers, we don't usually pray for the test, right? We're just excited, we go and we get it done. And that's it. But when we go into a test that we haven't studied, we stayed up way too late the night before playing video games, and we have no clue what's on this test, we haven't been to this class in six weeks, that's when we start praying, right? Like, Lord, help me, I need your providing. We don't necessarily run to God in seasons of celebration, but rather usually in seasons of mourning. For example, we don't pray for someone's health until they're sick or they're dying. You don't pray for a healthy person to stay healthy, usually. We don't usually pray for things until they become a burden on us, right? So Jesus is saying that in these seasons of when things get rough, he can be your comforter. He's saying he can carry you through and through in, into his presence. The reason that we're in despair and experience these kind of situations is because we live in a broken world. See, when God created the world, he created it perfect, right? God didn't mess up. It was perfect. Everything was the way it should be, but then humanity sinned and messed up. Adam and Eve, the first two humans, they disobeyed God and they brought sin into our world. And ever since that moment, our world's felt a little out of place. There's something inside of us that knows that this isn't right. We think, we, none of us think that this world is perfect. There's a small piece inside of us that wants something more. We want something otherworldly. This is why we like fantasy. This is why we like the Avengers. This is why we like Harry Potter. We want something that's a little bit supernatural, something that's a little bit extra. Again, we want something otherworldly because our world doesn't seem perfect. There's something inside of us that when we grieve or when we're sad, that's saying, this is not the way it's supposed to be. What we are doing is we are grieving Adam and Eve's first sin. We are longing for the perfect world that God created us to live in because this world is not all there is. But we can have hope because Jesus has promised to put it all right. That's what Easter's all about. We just finished celebrating that. We celebrate that Jesus died on a cross for all of us. That Jesus paid our penalty. That for every sin we've made Jesus paid the price for it, And because of that we can come back to God. Then on Easter something, or Easter Sunday, Jesus did something otherworldly. He rose out of a grave. Proving that he was victorious. We are longing for the day when we can experience our own Easter Sunday. And that's Why? We can have hope. Mourners are supposed to be people of despair. Their loved one is gone. They're never going to see them again. They feel like hopeless. However, Jesus is saying that these people are blessed. And the reason is because mourners can have hope. That this this life is not it. This life is not everything. That there's something else. That Jesus has said it all right. We can mourn with hope because Jesus took our despair and he canceled it. He made a way for us to have meaning and hope. We can live differently because this world is not what we live for. If our hope was in this world, if our hope was in finding a nice spouse, having a few kids, getting a nice job, making a ton of money and retiring young, if that's what our hope was in, we would be in constant despair because those things, although they're great, do not last. For example, your spouse is going to get ugly and die. Your kids are probably going to leave you. Go get married and have their own kids and not care about you as much. Money's going to fade. Your house is going to break You'll eventually reach the top of your career ladder and have nothing else to strive for. That seems hopeless to me. But if we flip it, we can learn that the cost of discipleship is that we can find hope in a seemingly hopeless world. We can find hope through finding meaning, and the only way to find true meaning is through King Jesus. Because of Jesus, we can hope for the eternal. We can hope for a life that's everlasting. We know that we live for more than just the here and now. And this should cause us to live differently. In most cases, when life stinks, we can fall into despair. That makes sense to my brain. When our grandma dies, if your parents get divorced, if you flunk a test, your boyfriend cheats on you, you lose a job, or you realize school's too expensive, or if your mental health goes to the can, naturally we can fall into hopelessness, and that makes sense. Life is hard sometimes, hear me. I know there's things that you guys have gone through in situations you're in that are tough. However, if you're a follower of Jesus here tonight, we can have hope regardless because we know that these tough situations are not everything. They are not eternal. They are only temporal. The only thing that lasts is Jesus, and he's so full of hope that we should be too. Growing up, my family and I went to Sandusky, Ohio multiple, multiple times to go to this amusement park called Cedar Point. The drive to Cedar Point from my parents' house is eight and a half hours, and that drive is really, really long, especially if you're the youngest of five siblings, which I am. I always got cramped in the back seat in, like, some corner, and I was way chubbier than all my siblings. So I was like, I should get a bigger seat because I eat more than you, but that doesn't make sense looking back. We would complain the whole way there. There was definitely times in that eight-and-a-half-hour drive when I felt despair. Have you guys been on a long road trip before, and you're like, like, oh, my gosh, how are we still in Iowa? I'm sick of corn. Or the smell of poop. Amen, Iowa. There were times when we felt no end in sight. But then we'd, like, cross the Ohio border. i would get a little hopeful, right? It still had a long ways to go. Ohio's a long state. I'm like, all right, we're getting close. See, at Cedar Point, there's this roller coaster called the Top Thrill Dragster. There it is. That's the roller coaster. That roller coaster is 420 feet in the air, and it goes 120 miles an hour. When I first rode it, it was the fastest and tallest roller coaster in the world. Now it's number two. It's fine. I'm not bitter about it. But you can see this roller coaster from pretty far away. When I would see the top thrill dragster, no matter how far away I was, I didn't care how long it was because I had hope now, because I can see it. I knew we were almost there. I was going to make it. I probably had to pee, but I was going to get to pee soon. Then I'd get there, be scared of my mind because I had to ride that thing, and then I'd get to the top of the roller coaster and have the week of my life. Too often, we feel like we're in the middle of the road trip. We feel hopeless. We see no end in sight. We're overwhelmed with the worries of this life. We need to look for our top thrill dragster. Our roller coaster is Jesus. He's way up there. But when we look at him, we can realize that we have hope. That this road trip's not all there is. See, the point of the vacation is not the drive there. The point of the vacation is the destiny, right? Or the destination. That's life. That's life. Life is not our destination. Life is not our be-all, end-all. This life is not our purpose. This life is just a road trip to our final destination with King Jesus. We cannot put all our hope in the road trip to satisfy us when the purpose of the road trip is not to satisfy us and fulfill us. The purpose of the road trip is to get us to our desired destination, which is eternity with God. We must quit trying to find our blessing and our purpose in the road road trip, and we have to keep the end in mind. If we keep the end in mind, if we remember where we're going, and we get a flat tire, we take a wrong turn, or we run out of gas, we know it's okay, because guess what, that amusement park, that's not going anywhere. Just like Jesus isn't going anywhere. Maybe you've been running from Jesus, and you've taken a lot of wrong turns. You may be going far away, but Jesus is right where he, he left you. Jesus isn't going anywhere. No matter how fallen you are no matter how many sins you think you've made jesus is right there waiting all we need to do is get back on the right road when life gets hard when the semester is rolling along when classes are not going well maybe you're not getting along with your family maybe you feel endlessly single we can have hope the destination remains the same Jesus never changes. The road trip's not our purpose anyway. The roller coaster's the purpose. Jesus is the purpose. And if we keep this in mind, we'll have so much hope along this road trip, even when things aren't going our way. Because following Jesus is not a promise to an easy life. I really wish it was, but it's not. The Bible actually makes it quite clear that if you follow Jesus, life's gonna get a little rocky sometimes. Things will be tough. Following Jesus is not easy, but it is worth it because then you get a destination. Without following Jesus, you're on an endless road trip. I'd rather get to the music park. Only in Jesus can we have eternal hope. In Jesus, we can live to something so much bigger than us. Even when we're mourning, we can have hope because God is in control and he's worth it. Maybe you're here tonight and you feel like you've been just living for the road trip. And if you're honest, you haven't had a destination in mind. You don't really know where your life's going. You just know you're out long for the ride. Well, I challenge you to explore making your destination Jesus. Why should we do that? Why should we spend our whole life trying to get to Jesus? Because we've fallen short. We make mistakes every day that deserve a payment. Here's the perfect life we should live. Here's Jesus right over here. And then when we sin, we're practically taking a step away from him. We're walking away. We're walking away from Jesus. We're running away. And there's a bunch of stuff behind us, a bunch of sin that we're doing. We have addictions. We have issues. We have struggles. All that's going behind us, creating a way between us and Jesus. And we're walking all the way over here. And then we think, oh, my gosh, how am I ever to get back to Jesus? He's so far away. There's so much stuff in between us. And then we turn around, and Jesus is right here because he's been following us every step of the way. That's why he should be our destination because Jesus, even though we make mistakes every day, even though we do things that should naturally separate us from God, he says that won't do. He's not okay with us being separated from God. So what did Jesus do? He came and he lived a perfect life. He took all this junk and he threw it away. He lived the perfect life and then died on a cross to pay the penalty that we should have paid. God is good. God is a good God. and Because he's a good God, he has to be a just God. We wouldn't want a judge that let murderers walk free. That's not a good judge. It's a bad judge. We want a good judge who's just. And that's what our God is. See, the difference between our God and judges of the earth is that when judges of the earth give out a penalty, give out a sentence, they expect you to pay it. But when our God gave us a sentence that meant we deserve death, sin, hell, and the grave, he said, but I'm going to pay that penalty for you. And Jesus paid the price for our sin. And because of that, we can have hope. Because although we deserve death, we get life in Jesus. And all Jesus asks us in return is that we trust him. If we trust him and live to him, we're free. We get to spend eternity with him. We get saved from our sins. We get to die to despair and live to hope. If you're here tonight and you've been putting all of your energy into the road trip and not focusing on the destination, if you've been finding hope in your performance, your goodness, your circumstances, God wants to change that tonight. See, we have an opportunity. We can keep living for ourselves, depending on our performance, which is going to lead to despair because we'll eventually come up short. Or we can choose to be poor in spirit. We can depend on God and His goodness for our value. find hope in the middle of our shortcomings, because although that we are not good enough, He is. We can find hope not only in our shortcomings, but also in the world's shortcomings, right? The world's a little bit of a messed up place. When our circumstances aren't great, when our families aren't great, when our schooling's not going super well, when we cannot find hope in our political leaders, our parents, our friends, when those things all come up short, Jesus does not. We can find our hope we can keep the destination in mind even when the road trip gets long and bumpy. I want you to imagine. Imagine if Chi Alpha was a place that the people here chose to be hopeful even amidst terrible circumstances. When everyone's complaining at your job, imagine if you were cheerful and didn't give in to the complaining. When everyone's sad or angry because of a hard test and this professor's just not fair to me, imagine if we said, but that's okay because God is good had joy. Imagine when things like COVID hits with God, please don't let that ever happen again. But when things like that hit and our world gets a little messy, we chose to be hopeful even though we were surrounded by despair and didn't give in to despair but instead chose to pursue Jesus. Imagine the witness that would be to people around us. Imagine if we didn't just preach hope in Jesus' name but we also lived hope because of Jesus' name. Imagine if we didn't just tell people that you can be saved and find freedom if you follow Jesus, but if we lived like people that were saved and had freedom. Imagine if we didn't just tell people you can have hope, but instead we lived with hope. That can change the 10,000 students at at the University of Northern Iowa and bring hope to our campus by being people of hope. This is the cost of discipleship. We are called to die to despair so that we can live to hope. And as we live to hope, we will be a shining light to a dark campus. If you all stand with me. If you're Kyle, we'd like to give two ways to respond. If you're in the room tonight and if you're honest with yourself, you haven't been following Jesus. Maybe you once did and you stopped. Maybe you've never followed Jesus. And if you're here tonight and you know, you want a destination, you want something to live for, you want to not depend on yourself, but instead to depend on God, you want to trust this Jesus that made a way to come back to him, what I'm going to ask you to do is when I I count to three, for you to slip up your hand, if everyone will close their eyes and bow their heads, if you want to give your life to Jesus and say, I'm all in, I'm going to try this Jesus thing, if that's you, on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two. Much. I'm gonna pray for you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for being the ultimate destination, Jesus. Thank you for giving us hope when we deserve no hope, Jesus. Thank you for paying the penalty for my sins and for my friend's sins, God. Jesus, thank you for making a way when there was no way. We love you so much, Amen. Amen. Second question I have: If you're in this place, and if you're honest with yourself, you haven't been living like a person of hope. Maybe you've been giving in to the grumpies lately and the lull of the semester has been dragging you down and you want to change that and you want to go from a person of despair to a person of hope if that's you I'm going to ask you to raise both your hands to Jesus right now if you want to be a person of hope raise your hands to God and say God I'm all in I'm going to trust you Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you so much. God, I pray that we can be people of hope, that we will be a people who see the end in mind, and that when life gets rough, we will trust you, God. I pray for a group of college students to trust you enough to live with hope. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen.